Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. And me and Shockwave Dave have got another awesome show lined up for you guys today. We are all up in UFC in London, which is coming to you this weekend on ESPN+. Plus. We've got three of the fighters who are featured on ESPN Plus this weekend. With us today, we're going to be talking to Ian Heinich, who fights Tom Brees on short notice. We'll be talking to... Darren Till teammate Mike Grundy, who's fighting Nad Naramani in his UFC debut. And then we'll end the show later on with an interview with Arnold Allen. So you're going to want to catch each and every one of those. Plus, we'll be breaking down the top three fights on the fight card. We'll be running around the league with all kinds of new fight bookings and news about Conor McGregor breaking shit. And, of course, a combat countdown. So, you're going to want to tune in for each and every little bit of that. But before you do so, let me remind you. This show is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. ADK Fightwear is a family-owned business in the Adirondack Mountains of New York that brings you high-quality gear that you can roll in without breaking the bank. That's right. ADK Fightwear has got some of the cheapest but high-quality gear out there on the market. I've got their arm bars and stripes rash guard. This thing only costs you 20 bucks if you use our promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase. Go there. Get this rash guard for just 20 bucks, and it holds up against the test of time. The colors are still bright. The threads are all still intact. There's no pilling, and I've had this thing for months and rolled in it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. It still looks brand new. So you're going to want one just like it. Plus, while you're there, check out their geese, spats, t-shirts, sweatshirts, all kinds of other stuff, adkfightwear.com. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to UFC debutante Mike Grundy, who fights Nad Naramani this weekend at UFC in London on ESPN+. Mike, I, I want to talk about your wrestling credentials, because you've got some really impressive wrestling credentials, and, and England is kind of a country that's taken quite a bit of criticism for their fighters not really having quality wrestling. Do, do you feel like you're sort of carrying the torch for, for English wrestling? Yeah, I do a little, and, and that's kind of what I wanted when I, when I, when I was going to get to the UFC. I always knew I'd get to the UFC, and I always wanted that um, status where I can get to the UFC and show off that UK does have some wrestlers, and we can wrestle, and you know, it is a good way of getting kids into wrestling as well. They've got somebody to kind of look up to and and see that people can, can wrestle in the UK. Absolutely, and you said you've always felt like you were going to make it to the UFC, I know you you train in Liverpool. Were you upset that you weren't on the Liverpool card event last May? Because you had a pretty impressive resume even then. Yeah, I mean, we we tried for London last year, actually. We tried to get on that. Darren put it out there and um, kind of campaigned a little bit for it. Uh, I think it was a late pull out with, with a lightweight, and Darren tried, said, get me in it, and somebody else got it. I think it was actually Nadu who got that, that spot. But the fight didn't go ahead. But anyway, we, we then we obviously wanted Liverpool. Liverpool would have been perfect. Obviously, you know, in, in the place where I train and down with the main event, this time Liverpool would have been would have been great. But you know, it's here now, and, and I'm, ex- I'm excited to it. I'm excited for it. Yeah, and I was going to ask you too. You know, being that Darren is the main event, and he's you know such a been an important voice in your corner, telling people about you and things like that. Is it extra special that you get to make a debut on a card that he's main eventing? Yeah, I mean, that was training. You know, our training, our atmosphere, training right now is brilliant. 
we're both looking, you know, both going to be fighting in the same in the same card. But the, the training's been great. We're bouncing off each other and helping each other and, and having a great camp. We've had a great camp, so you know we're both ready to go. And, and speaking of Till, you know, he, he took a little bit of heat for his wrestling in his last fight. Obviously, he was fighting a really impressive grappler in Tyrone Woodley. Uh, Jorge Masvidal is not Tyrone Woodley, but have you guys been working a lot on his wrestling ahead of uh, this upcoming bout? I mean, we're always, we are always wrestling. We wrestle hard, you know, we're always wrestling. Training. And, and Darren's wrestling is good. Darren's wrestling is good. You know, he, he's, he's, not, he's not an all-station wrestler. He's good. And, and you know he defended him. Woodley take down. Woodley did try and take him down. I don't think he managed. To, I don't think through the fight he managed to drag him down at all. So I thought he did really well in that department. And you know what? He, he has got some decent wrestling attacks and defense. Do, do you but yeah, we, we are wrestling a lot and in training. That's important, that, massively important for him. Uh, that that was interesting that you said that he's got a lot of impressive wrestling attacks too because it's something we don't see all that often from him. Is it something you think we'll see more of in the next couple of bouts? Um, maybe not because he does love, you know he loves to stand up. He stand up his <laughs> game. Obviously he's been a Thai boxer from a very young age, so he's always probably going to stand up. But um, if he ever wanted to take somebody down, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, if, if he took him down and, and a good wrestler as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously, this is... I want to return the questions here to you. So, obviously, this is your first fight in the UFC. Uh, You've got a wealth of experience. You've been there with a whole bunch of guys. And I know you got to be in Darren's corner for his his title fight. Do do you feel like that kind of experience, cornering guys, is going to help you with the, you know, so-called octagon jitters for people who are there for the first time? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I've conned a good few guys in in the UFC. I've conned, like, Paul Sass and Terry Etten. And people like that, and, and obviously Darren. But when I when I, I've always envisioned when I walked out with them, you know, I've always envisioned me, me kind of just took a moment and thought how I would feel when I walk out, and there's so many people screaming and stuff. So I've always I've always visioned myself coming out as well, and visioned myself when when it gets to that stage. So uh, the experience, yeah, and and I've I've competed in front of a lot of people, and you know I've done done a lot of big wrestling tournaments myself, so. I'm experienced in that sense, and I, and I don't think I'm going to get the uh, oxygen jitters. I'm just uh, excited and, and ready to enjoy it all now. And, and you you mentioned a name in there that I'm actually glad you mentioned because me and my my co-host uh, are are huge Paul Sass fans because we're big jiu-jitsu guys. How how often would you say he's working for triangles in the gym with you? Uh, just out of curiosity. Yeah, he's, he's not in too much now, but wow, he was so good at triangles. You know, I mean. He was um, he was perfect for me because obviously I was in his guard and I was always trying to defend triangles, which is good for me coming up through my amateur and my start of my pro career. It, you know, he, he's really good, but he is um, a perfectionist at uh, triangles and a bunch of other stuff as well. But obviously, mainly, tri- mainly triangles he, he got. But yeah, he's, he's unreal on the ground, Paul Sass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you got to imagine that there, there's no fear of being in somebody's guard anymore after you've been in his as many times, huh? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, you you struggle to punch in his guard. You get your game trial seized with that your arm up. So, being in his guard and defending some of his triangles, and you know, you, you're safe in most people's in guard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now I, I wanted to to talk a little bit about the the featherweight division where you're you're making your debut here because it's an interesting place for wrestlers right now because there's actually a fair number of wrestlers at 45 where you don't see that in a ton of the other divisions. You know, the depth of, of wrestling here. You got Frankie Edgar is a, a good wrestler. Uh, Zabit Magomed Sharapov has shown good wrestling. Darren Elkins, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky, Mirsad Bechtik. 
How do you feel like you stack up against 45ers, and how do you feel about the fact that there are so many wrestlers in this division that you're in now? Yeah, that's good. That's what I want. I wanted to get up against these guys and show that, you know, like I said, you care some wrestling, you care. always had a, everyone, a lot of commentators, a lot of people have always said that UK has no wrestling. I agree. It is, there isn't much wrestling in UK. It's not really that popular. But um, I was quite fortunate in my era, my, my generation, coming through. I was took on a world-class program and we got uh, some money to train. We got money to train and wrestle all over the world. We went to Russia, to America. We went to a lot of places to train and wrestle. And plus, I had I had through my younger age, eight to thirteen year old wrestling. I was I had a coach from America who was actually a head coach at Mizzou, which is where Aspen and Woodley's from. I think he might have coached at that similar time when they was there. He might have coached them, but Coach Whelan was my coach as a kid as well. So I had a good. Um, coach, a good mentor through through my wrestling career, um, so yeah, these are the guys I want to come up in, come up against in the featherweight division. I want to get against these wrestlers, and I want to show that you know we can wrestle and I can wrestle and build up the the wrestling in my country. Absolutely. Now I I know that there are, there are definitely different styles of wrestlers that we could see, and, and not a lot of people know about your style of wrestling. So if you had to compare yourself to another wrestler, maybe one in the UFC. Whose wrestling would you say you are most similar to? Um, I mean, my wrestling is very explosive and athletic, and uh, I don't know who could compare that to. Maybe a little bit like Frank Edgar's. Mm-hmm. throws a little bit more combinations than me before he attacks, but maybe Chad Mendes. Chad Mendes, I like his wrestling, is quite good, you know, but um, it's very explosive. You know, simulate that double round time that a tennis getting finished. Yeah, and we could certainly use a, a Chad Mendes in that division. Well, we're certainly looking forward to see your debut, uh, Mike. Once again, Mike fights Nad Naramani this weekend at UFC in London on ESPN+. Plus. Mike, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me. This is Daniel Gumby, Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Ann Heinisch, who fights Tom Brees at UFC London this weekend on ESPN+. Ian, I, I want to talk to you first. Last year you had a piece published on the Players' Tribune, which is an honor in itself, but I, I thought it to be one of the best pieces of, of writing in, in all of sports last year. For for the people who haven't seen it, I highly suggest going and checking it out. It's called Ever Been to Rikers, uh, and it's by Ian Heinish. You can Google it and, and find it pretty easily. You know, obviously all that stuff that you went through, you know, I'm, we're not going to get into huge detail about it, but how much do you attribute sort of your mental toughness in the cage to all of that, or have you always just been that kind of competitor? Uh, you know, Dan – you know, I, I try to do a lot of reflection of those of those hard times, those cold nights. Um, and, you know, th- and that's why people ask me, like, I was nervous for my last fight because it was my first UFC fight. I had the UFC jitters, you know, but it didn't show. And, you know, it's kind of – I'm pretty good at masking that And because when I was locked up, man, you can't really show your feelings. And, you know, you're locked in a cage with someone where there's no referee. So – I mean, if something goes down, you're on your own. And, you know, so doing something I love, competing in a sport, even though, yeah, it is fighting and you can get seriously injured, uh, it just doesn't really compare to what I've been through. So I just kind of put it in perspective. And, you know, it gives me that strength and uh, just kind of more numb to those uh, scary feelings. 
Well, yeah, and that's certainly a benefit. Now, I wanted to talk, too, in the piece you mentioned Lucha Canaria, which is uh, a martial art from the Canary Islands in Spain. It's sort of one of the more unique, I, I mean, I know you're a wrestler, too, but one of the more unique background martial arts that somebody's brought to the cage. Can you tell us a little bit about that wrestling and about that martial art and how it's helped you in MMA? Uh, you know, it was just uh, a different form of wrestling, you know, very barbaric. It's in a gladiator pit. Uh, it's in the sand. It's best out of three. You kind of wear a gi, but you roll the legs up and you go shoulder to shoulder. You lock up and uh, it just goes best out of three. If you win, you stay in and you go and face the next opponent until you run through a whole team and there's no weight classes. So, you know, uh, I mean... It, a few things have taken away that have helped me in MMA, but, you know, not too much, but it's just more of the competitive, just more of the animalistic of being in a gladiator pit and and getting to compete and just keeping me sharp on my takedowns. It's just basically takedown wrestling. So I would say it's helped a little bit with that. And I just, it was something I enjoyed and it was very unique to me and I excelled at it. And from what you're describing too, the fact that it's, you know, shoulder to shoulder kind of just, trying to get them to the ground as quickly as possible. Is it safe in, in assuming that that's where the nickname, uh, the hurricane comes from El Huracan, that you're, you're twisty in your takedowns or, or was there some other origin to that nickname? You know, that nickname takes many meanings. Um, you know, obviously if you know, Ruben Carter, the boxer, mm-hmm. you know, obviously he has a more lengthy story and, uh, we don't go into all that, but I was, you know, he did two years in jail in prison and came out and became a world champ. And that's kind of the the track that I'm on. Also, I love the beach and yeah, I mean, my fighting style is similar to that. You know, I put people in the storm and I like to say they can't hang with the hurricane when they get put in that storm. So there's very, there's a lot of meanings to that. And um, I guess that could be one of them. Yeah. And, and now I, w- I want to talk a little bit about the fight too, rather than, you know, just talk about that piece. Cause I, I probably could talk about that piece for some time because I've really enjoyed it. You now train at Factory X under Mark Montoya, who's kind of one of like the the most popular up and coming coaches right now. Was that the first place you started when you got back to training, or or, or how'd you wind up there? Yeah, you know, I came back to training. I mean, I came back. I, I was free for the first time in two years and four months, and I was kind of just looking around for a gym. I popped into a few local gyms, nothing like a real fight gym. Uh, and then, yeah, I found Factory X, a buddy that I used to wrestle with, actually took me there. And it just worked out so perfect. I met up with Mark. I saw how he ran his team. I come from a very strong team in wrestling. We were five-time state champs when I was there. And just that super tight niche team is something that draws me very close, that it really attracts me. And that's how Factory X was. It's like a family so I was instantly uh, brought into the family, and this will be my team for my the rest of my career. Well, and we recently saw some success from that team, too, with, with Anthony Smith moving all the way up to a title shot. Now, he ultimately wasn't successful in that title shot, but do you feel like the preparation in getting him ready for that shot has been beneficial for you as you get ready for this fight with Brees? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, Anthony's taller. He's not a southpaw like Breeze is, but just An- Anthony's mentality and just being around, a, you know, someone who, you know, is is right there with John Jones. And, and I mean, we, we did so good last year in the UFC. We were number two gym in the world. 
uh, next to AKA, and we even won more fights than they did, but they have more title uh, title shots and title. They won more titles, so they got more points or whatever, however that system works. But, I mean, I'm in there with Chris Camozzi, who's like a 20-fight UFC vet, uh, Sean Choice, who's a glory fighter, Dustin Jacoby, who fought for the glory belt, UFC vet, Bellator vet, and uh, James Krause coming in, Zach Cummings, Court McGee. <clears throat> so the talent in there around – the 170 to 205 range is just unreal, and it just cycles in because some guys go home, some guys live here. So I always have a fresh body, a new look, and a, and a different mentality to, to learn and grow from. And, and is that sort of why you took this fight on, you know, you took it on just about a month's notice? Because I imagine that, you know, training with those guys, you're ready to go all the time? Yeah, you know, it's something... When I'm at home and when I'm not traveling, I'm training full-time, like I'm in a camp. I, we, we don't really even have camps at Factory X if you live here. You just train full-time, and obviously your strength and conditioning is tapered according to when you have a fight, and we do things smart, but at the same time, I, you know, I could take a fight on a week's notice, a few days' notice. I took my last fight on six days' notice. I felt pretty good. I think I can't, I'm going to even feel better having a month's camp and just being able to prepare for an opponent. But, you know, I'm ready to be that guy who takes short-notice fights. As long as they pay me sufficiently for what I'm doing and, and putting myself at risk like that. But we stay ready. We stay training. And this is a lifestyle. This isn't just a get-in-camp, get-out-of-camp for me. And now another consideration to the, this fight being on short-notice is that it's it's over in Europe. Obviously, you're fighting in London. It, it is the first time you fought back in Europe since the you were in prison in Spain, was yeah. are there emotions around that? Was there any consideration of that? What? How do you feel about going back to Europe for the first time? Yeah, it's it's really cool, man. I'm I'm really excited to do this. I actually just booked my ticket to Tenerife, where I actually lived for three years. That's where I was arrested in the islands of the Canaries. Um, I'm actually going to go back there and visit some uh, some old friends and just kind of show my girlfriend around where I used to live. And, and it's kind of funny because my first fight was in South America where I used to do the legal business down there. And now my next fight is in Europe where I used to live. So it's kind of full circle thing for me. It's pretty surreal getting to go back being legit, being, uh, working there for legal money. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm truly blessed by God. Yeah, and that's certainly awesome that you can do that full circle. I, I was going to ask if you, you had any plans for Spain. So now I, I want to end on, on this piece too. So you, you talk in that piece about wanting to start a halfway house or something for kids who are like you to rehabilitate them. Is that a dream for after fighting, or is that something you consider doing the more and more money you make as a fighter? Yeah, you know, it's just – it's pretty unreal when you get to see the system from, you know, how the Europeans are doing it. I was fortunately blessed to be in a, a European prison where they actually rehabilitate you. They let me do that wrestling that we just talked about. They let me start an MMA program. They had a boxing program. I learned a different language. I learned Spanish. You know, I did alcohol classes. I was actually rehabilitated. I was given a second chance. And then coming right back to Rikers Island, and coming back to the American uh, prison system, it just shows that we're, we're not using our prison system as a rehabilitation. We're using it as a business. And it is just uh, something needs to be done. And, you know, me from, from seeing it from both sides, I know there's something I can do. And, yes, as my career goes on, 
I know that God's going to put the right people around me and I'm going to be able to make this halfway house happen and change lives and ultimately maybe someday produce champions. Well, and we're certainly rooting for you in that and we'll be rooting for you in your fight this weekend. Ian Heinich fights Tom Brees at UFC in London on ESPN+. Plus. Ian, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. Have a great day. And those two interviews were brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon is the one and only BJJ social media app. That's right. You got your Facebook where, you know, Aunt Sally is going on and on and on about the latest thing in politics. You don't want to deal with that on social media. Then you head on over to Twitter, which you should follow us, at Top Turtle MMA and at Gumby Freeland. Make sure you check us out. But, you know, you maybe don't want everybody's take there. Maybe you're just looking for straight jujitsu stuff. So if you're looking for just straight jujitsu stuff, why not download the Maroon app? You can get it on Google Play. You can get it at the iTunes Store. You can get it anywhere you usually download apps. So check it out. And when you download it, what you're going to get is you are going to get a way that you can match your friends up and find out just about their training. You set up your profile. You find out all of the things that you, you need to know, you know, like where you train, what your belt level is, how many stripes you got, things like that. And then you can log your training sessions. It's really awesome. And it's a great way to keep yourself accountable too, because they let you know month to month, whether or not you're increasing the amount you're training or decreasing the amount. Plus there's room for notes, weigh-ins, competition results, all kinds of things. Trust me, if you do jujitsu, you're going to want to check out Maroon Social. That's M-A-R-U-N-E. Now, I am Daniel Gumby Vreeland, joined by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, you know, regional cards are always fun for me. I, I love this London one with a bunch of local flavor on it. Who are you most excited to see? Well, call me a homer to the Top Turtle MMA podcast on flowcombat.com, at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter, cheap plug. But I'm most excited about our two guests that came on today. Mike Grundy, who, of course, is Darren Till's right-hand man, but a very good wrestler, so that's always interesting. And then Arnold Allen, kind of a low-key beast. Remember that phrase later in the show. Uh, this guy has two submissions in his four UFC wins. He's got a guillotine. He's got a front. He's coming off a front choke off of uh, Burnell. I'm very excited to see what he does next. He could go to 5-0 and in the UFC. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on the show, so make sure you tune in and keep listening because Arnold Allen is right at the end of the show. But yeah, I, I agree about Mike Grundy. It's interesting to see, and you know, he sort of mentions it, British guys kind of get a slight for not being good wrestlers, but uh, he has definitely got the wrestling to go uh, to, to go big with it, and it's in a fun division. Featherweight's got a ton of wrestlers. All right, we'll move along to our favorite segment. Eh, tied for first is our favorite segment on the show. It's the fastest fight news. We deliver the news to you in 15 minutes or less, or the podcast is free. And there's no better place to start with the biggest name in MMA, at least right now, until we move on from the Conor era. It's, of course, Conor McGregor, and he got arrested in Miami for smashing some dude's cell phone. Your thoughts? Ah, uh... It kind of seems weird that he's, he's arrested for smashing a cell phone. I don't understand the laws in Florida because I feel like here you probably get some kind of – here and I live in Massachusetts, you probably get some sort of fine. I can't imagine being arrested for smashing some dude's cell phone. Uh, but that being said, you know, it's never good to see him in trouble, especially when, like, all this good news is coming out about his, you know, his company's getting bigger, they're distributing more – 
proper number 12 all over the globe. And uh, I, I saw a fucking commercial watching an NBA game the other day for proper number 12 with Connor's face laughing. It's pretty shitty timing, but uh, it mostly seems like it's not going to affect whether or not we ever see him again. No, definitely not. I mean, it's uh, to be uh, to be concise, I guess, it was uh, charges of strong arm robbery and criminal mischief of $1,000 or more, because the guy claimed his phone was more than $1,000. Fuck, man. That's, uh, that's such an expensive phone. <laughs> it's an expensive phone. But, you know, I think it just speaks to the fact that I think Conor McGregor is bored. I think he wants to be fighting, but it's in his head that he shouldn't be fighting. And I know that he took it very seriously when he watched a teammate, you know, basically kill a man, mm -hmm. uh, so to speak. The fighter died after an MMA fight that Conor was at. And, you know, you heard Conor talk about that, and I think that really... Uh, stuck with him, and I think he said to himself, you know what, I've got X amount of money in the bank, I don't need to be killing my body, maybe I'll fight one or two more times and then I'm done. And I think this is just about him trying to kind of find his new life, I think. Yeah, that, and we've seen that happen with plenty of other athletes too, dudes who retired and don't know what to do with themselves and wind up in trouble. And It's a shame that it's happening, but you know, MMA fans are, or MMA fighters are human beings. The, uh, I'm surprised, actually, you know, after the Khabib loss, you think about the Nate loss, which occurred in March of 2016. He instantly called up the Fertitas, said, let's run it back, same weight class. We all know the mythology around that second Diaz fight. It was supposed to happen on International Fight Week. They had a bit of a negotiation snafu. If you're of the conspiracy mindset, you could also think that that was all fake, because I think the UFC... Uh, ownership and Connor have been thick as thieves since about his third fight. I never really believed that they had a big fallout over how many appearances he had to make. But that's another story for another day. So he lost in March. He was going to fight in July. The fight got pushed to August. So what's that? March, April, May, June, July. So the intern's telling me five months between those two fights. Now, he got his ass handed to him by Khabib. Let's all remember the overhand right that Khabib landed and knocked Connor down. Of course, got choked out in the fourth round. That was early October. So he's already at that, that five says, months. Yeah, he's already at that five months, and we don't have a fight for him. This is a different Connor McGregor than we were dealing with even two, three years ago, post Floyd Money Mayweather fight. He's not really an active UFC fighter anymore. No, so that's kind of. I think some of that too is the ability to get the Nate rematch was really easy. Neither guy wanted a title shot. It sold like hotcakes. They knew it would sell again. This fight, I, I mean, it might sell again, but I don't think it would sell as good. And he can't just demand another title fight. You know, like he, he is Conor McGregor, but even in this case, I don't feel like he can demand another title fight. Uh, but who can? I mean, that doesn't matter. Uh, Conor McGregor, the name, is mm. just. You headline with that. And I never believed that whole thing where Joe Rogan said they couldn't get him versus uh, Cerrone done because they wanted it to be a yeah, co-main event. I don't event. buy that for a second. They would 100% yeah, just... make that a main event. <laughs> yeah, and I, even you know, even him and Habib, I, I think the, the outcome is less in question because everyone saw it, but the angle they shot, to borrow a term from pro wrestling at the end, I think it does just about the same. I think you lose about 300,000 hardcore MMA fans who are like, I don't need to see that again. I know Khabib's going to slaughter him. 
but you gain 300,000 casual fans who are like, oh, Khabib, the guy that jumped out of the cage and sucker punched Connor, and it was all over SportsCenter. Yeah. I think it does the same, you know, whatever it does. Speaking of buy rates, the UFC does have a star on their hand who consistently does above 500,000 buys, which is sorely needed in this day and age for them. Uh, and that's John Jones reports coming in that UFC 235 headlined by Jones versus Smith with a very strong undercard of Woodley and Usman and Askren making his debut did somewhere in the range of 520 to 650,000 buys, according to buy rate guru Dave Meltzer. Uh, what does this say to you about Jones's drawing power and maybe some of the drawing power of some of the guys underneath? Yeah, I think it says mostly about Jones's drawing power because you know those those undercards have always you know like the stacked ones have come and gone, but they they don't necessarily affect the buy rate. The headliner affects the buy rate, and and in this case, I think it says a lot about Jones because Anthony Smith is not a name that's drawing tons of people. I love Anthony Smith. I think he's a fun fighter to watch. I respect the hell out of him for not taking the DQ win. All that being said, I think that this says so much about John Jones, and it says so much about John Jones's approach. John Jones is one of the only champs out there saying, I just want to steamroll all of these young dudes in my division. I want to be the GSP of this year. I want to show everybody that fucking 205 is my division. I won't just clean out the old tier of fighters like Rampage and, and Shogun and Loyola Machida. I won't just clear out that range. I'll clear out the new coming too, all at the same time and show you that I'm a real beast. So I think it, it speaks volume for that approach and it speaks volume for the fact that his controversies, all putting all of that aside, it's probably made him a bigger draw. Oh, fuck yeah. Because he gets that name recognition to 100%. the casual fan. Mm -hmm. He's always on SportsCenter for being in trouble. Um, I also think it is worth noting too, that, um, you know, Jones's comeback fight after the pregnancy hit the pregnant woman with his car suspension, that comeback fight was supposed to be Cormier and it fell through due to injuries. He came back after a year and a half layoff against OSP and that did around 400,000 to 450,000 buys. Now that's a against huge letdown. OSP. <laughs> against OSP. No, it's very strong. But what I'm actually thinking is, I think the jump to 520, because Anthony Smith, you know, about as exciting as OSP was at the time, maybe a little more because he had some highlight reel knockouts, but not over anyone of meaning, you know, anyone meaningful. My point being is that I think the relationship with ESPN is also paying off yeah. because that's a whole new market, a whole new demographic of fan that they're now reaching. And, you know, so I don't know. I, I think I'm very interested to see. Who is the next pay-per-view fighter? And we'll save this for a combat countdown. Who is the next fighter who can pull above 500,000 on pay-per-view? Not Connor, not Ronda, and not John Jones or Brock Lesnar. Those are obviously the four that are kind of in the mix. Ronda not really being in the mix anymore, but who's the next one? And spoiler alert, early preview for my thinking. I think it's Max or Stylebender. Yeah, I, th I think it's Stylebender all day, to be honest with you, because I, I, there's just something about his personality in the way he toasts people that I, I think he's going to be a megastar. Well, UFC Wichita was this past weekend. Nothing overly surprising. Zaleski's an animal. Anthony Rocco Martin, friend of the show, also a, a beast. What else did you make of the fight, uh, the show as a whole, and did anyone really stand out for you? 
Uh, not a ton of people standing out. I, I mean, I think the Junior Dos Santos fight, if you listen to my breakdown from uh, last week, I think the Junior Dos Santos versus Derek Lewis fight went down just as I said with, with Junior Dos Santos getting the second round TKO and really almost getting the first round TKO when you talk about that body kick uh, that crumbled Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis is the type of guy who can goad somebody into throwing stupid punches and trying to put him away when he looks tired. And he almost got Dos Santos to do that once, but Dos Santos, dude, is a smart fucking fighter. I really want to see him fight Francis Naganu next. I think it would be a banger and so fun. Yeah, I like that fight as well. Uh, yeah, so I agree with you. Not a ton for UFC Wichita. I think this weekend might more than make up for it, though just because there are an uh, insane number of good fighters on this card, up to and including the return of Gunnar Nelson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I failed to mention that at the top of the show, but that's really exciting. Uh, but it brings us really to our combat countdown this week and what brought us to the dance. Thinking about guys like Seleski, Anthony Rocco, Martin, who are the low-key beasts out there in UFC land? Who are the guys that are absolute beasts, potential future champions, that people just aren't talking about? They're low-key. We threw this question out to our Twitter following, at Top Turtle MMA, got a ton of good feedback. We aggregated those results, added in our own opinion, and we will bring you that top five list. But I, of course, want to tell you that this combat countdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the world's thinnest, most lightweight, and durable mouthguard on the market. I'm actually speaking to you, our loyal fans, with my Sisu Mouthguard in my mouth right now. It protects my chompers at home. And when I'm doing high-impact sports like jiu-jitsu, you'll never see me on the jiu-jitsu mats without my Sisu mouth guard. I absolutely love it, and I highly recommend it. I wouldn't recommend it to you if I truly didn't believe in it. You can go to sisuguard.com and get yourself 15% off when you enter in promo code TURTLE. That's right. Promo code, no, sorry. Promo code TOPTURTLE. 15. I should probably learn our promo code since I'm going to be passing them out. A Gumby. Anyway, let's do that all over again. You're going to head on over to sisuguard.com. That's the worldwide website. And then you're going to enter in promo code TOPTURTLE15 for 15% off. All right, Gumby. Are you ready for this week's combat countdown? Oh, hell yeah. All right, well, we, of course, will start at... no. Actually, you know what? Let's do this. Before we go to number five, talk about any honorable mentions that almost missed the cut, if any. All right, so let me talk to, talk about the criteria here, because low-key beast obviously doesn't really have too much of a criteria. Not only am I looking for somebody who, like you said, could be a future champion, has been really impressive, I'm looking for somebody who does it in an impressive way. Not just winning, not just being dominant, but being dominant and maybe a little bit flashy too and super powerful on top of all that. And because we got so many good recommendations out there, some of those dudes were already ranked, right? Eliza Zaleski Dos Santos got mentioned a ton of times. That that dude, he's ranked number 13 right now. I'm not sure he's low-key anymore. Same with Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal was ranked for a little while. It's maybe not low-key anymore once you're ranked. So all five of these unranked people doing so in crazy impressive fashion, and I think you guys should all know about them. All right, let's hit it off then. No honorable mentions. Let's go. Number five, Don Match. 
Alright, so Don Madge, he's a lightweight. For those of you who have not seen his one and only fight in the UFC, the dude fucking head kick knocked out Tay Edwards, who is a crazy impressive striker. So basically, he took a striker, and as a big, powerful wrestling-type guy, he then just played the striker's game, head kick knocked him out, he's got four straight first-round finishes, and he's like one of the only dudes in the UFC from South Africa so he comes from a place that doesn't have a huge following. Barely anybody knew about his upbringing. He just walks into the UFC, head kick knocks out a guy who has been flashy as hell in his own right. Like Tay Edwards could be an honorable mention. But Don Madge is a name I think a lot of people are going to know pretty soon. Uh, that's a good one. And uh, Don Madge, check him out. He's a low-key beast and someone you don't want to sleep on. We'll move then to number four. It's uh, our female entrant on the top five. It's Julia Avila. Yeah, Julia Avila, recent signee to the UFC. Her nickname, The Raging Panda. And I think it's a fucking awesome nickname. And she has got some impressive finishes. You know, sometimes you don't see uh, somebody finishing a ton of fights uh, in the women's division. So there's just a little bit less power. She's got that power. She already has a victory, by the way, over former UFC champion Nico Montano. Uh, and it is one of only two fights she did not finish. The other one was against Marion Renault, who's a top 10 bantamweight. So she's got two decision wins. They're both over crazy good UFC vets. The other ones are all first or second round TKOs in an armbar in there. Her last fight... She front kick knocked out Alexa Connors, who is a pretty decent veteran in her own right. But how many times have you ever seen a front kick knockout? Never mind a woman with a front kick knockout. Uh, very well said. Uh, number three, we're going to go back to lightweight, and it might not be the last time on this <laughs> list because it's a stacked division and there are a lot of unranked low-key beasts there. But number three is Roosevelt Roberts. Yeah, Roosevelt Roberts, let's talk about him. So if you missed Roosevelt uh, Roberts' debut, go back on Fight Pass and fucking watch Roosevelt Roberts' debut. The dude is 7-0, and he had to debut against Daryl Horcher. You might remember Daryl Horcher. He went the distance with Habib way back when. So Roosevelt Roberts fought Daryl Horcher, and not only did he submit him with a modified guillotine, but he picked the whole dude's fucking body up against the cage and had him fucking parallel to the ground, which is one of the most impressive guillotine finishes I've ever seen in my whole life. And the dude is crazy skinny. He is like real, real, real wiry thin. So to pick a dude up with your guillotine is crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. I have to go back and watch that. If you haven't seen it, it's an insane visual. Uh, we'll move then again to another division that's so deep with so many low-key beasts. Featherweight, Sadiq Yusuf. Yeah, I'm a big Sadiq Yusuf fan. Uh, he's been on the show, friend of the show. His hands are just so crazy powerful. We saw it on the Contender Series where he basically busted his knee, couldn't walk, and continued to plod forward and just throw bombs at Mike Davis. He He's one of the few people I've ever seen on the Contender Series win a decision and still get the contract because his hands are that fun to watch 
and he definitely would have knocked out Mike Davis should he have had two legs underneath him. And then he, he makes up for that by debuting in the UFC against uh, Suman Mokhtarian, uh, down uh, a, a good prospect from, from Australia, and just knocking him the fuck out too. So Sadiq mm-hmm. Youssef, powerful hands, powerful guy, great wrestling defense. He's certainly one to watch. All right, this brings us to numero uno, and I love this numero uno. Uh, he is a low-key beast, but probably not going to be low-key much longer. And he just so happens to be a friend of the show and uh, on the show today. Funny how that works out, but being unbiased, he still would have made the top of this list. It's Arnold Allen. Yeah, I'm a huge Arnold Allen fan. Now, Arnold Allen is going to talk about maybe why there's not so much hype around him in just a moment. Stay tuned. Uh, but the man is... 4-0 in the UFC. If he wins this weekend, fighting Jordan Rinaldi, he will be 5-0. Now, before I get into all the other beast mode things he's done, Dave, I got a trivia question for you. If he wins Ooh. this weekend, and he is on a five-fight UFC win streak, how many people in the featherweight division do you think would be in front of that five-fight win streak? Uh, so it could be any featherweight currently on the roster any, with more than a five fight with win streak. More than, they have to have more than five in a row. Well, clearly Max. He's Max the is, champion. He's Max won is, like 13 in a row. Yeah, Max has won. I am tempted to say that Volkanovski is only at four or five. Am I wrong in saying that? You're wrong. He's at six. He is also in front of him. He's also in front of him. Yep. And then... Uh, other than that, I mean, Jose, no, because you go back to the Connor loss. Uh, and the Max and then losses. Brian, and the, right, and the Max losses. And Brian Ortega, of course, just lost to Max. So uh, is it just those two? It is just those two, and he will be tied for third with Zabit Magomed Sharapov. So wow. the dude is in company with Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, and Zabit Magomed Sharapov, and here we are having to explain to our fans who the fuck he is. He's not ranked in the top 15. Is this not incredible to you guys? And like you said earlier in the show, it's not because he's not finishing dudes, right? He's got a guillotine. He's got a front choke. He's got all kinds of crazy finishes, great wrestling defense, insane hands, and he's 25. Like, why are we not talking about Arnold Dowman, dude? This dude is a mega prospect. Um, all right, that is our list. We hope you liked it. But if you didn't, we want to hear from you as well. And we, of course, want to hear if you support it. Hit us up at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. Just a review. It was Don Magic number five, Julia Vila, number four, Roosevelt Roberts, number three, number two, Sadiq Youssef, and number one, Arnold Allen, as the top five low-key beasts in the UFC. Let us know what you think. Let's move on. There's a UFC London preview that we want to get from you, Gumby. And we also want to get to that uh, Arnold Allen interview. So, Gumby, please tell us who brings us this UFC London interview. Or UFC London preview. Excuse me. <laughs> well, of course, this UFC London preview is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Look, the underwear game has changed. You don't have to wear boxers that allow your stuff to flop all over while you're exercising anymore. And you certainly don't have to wear briefs that crush and overheat your junk. Now... 
You can have sheath underwear, which has an innovative front pocket that promotes airflow to your, your cash and prizes, your, your special goods, and keeps them nice and cool while also giving them the support they need while you do physical activity like, you know, say, jujitsu. So head over and over to sheathunderwear.com. Make sure you use promo code FLOW, that's F-L-O, and you're going to get 20% off your whole order there. So make sure to put that in. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com. So, uh, UFC London preview here. I'm going to go with my three favorite fights on the card. The first one, I'm going to take Darren Till at a negative 220 favorite over Jorge Masvidal. I know that's a really big favorite here, but I I can't imagine Masvidal getting Darren Till down. And in this boxing match, the person who carries the big power here is Darren Till. So, you know, the fact that he outstruck Wonderboy and he tends to have more power than Masvidal... Tyron Woodley went 0 for 4 trying to take him down. You got to give this one to Darren Till. I'm taking the underdog in the co-main event. I'm going with Gunnar Nelson over Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is the type of guy who takes people down and wears them out by being on top of them. I just don't think he can do that to Gunnar Nelson for three rounds. Look, Demi and Maya outgrappled him. Leon Edwards is not Demian Maia. So I'm taking Gunnar Nelson at a plus 140 underdog. Uh, and then for the third one, I'm taking Dominic Reyes at a negative 250 favorite over Volkan Ozdemir. And I know that's a big one too. But Volkan has kind of made his way to the top with some one-touch knockout power. And I just don't see him being able to tag Dominic Reyes. Dominic Reyes is more well-rounded. He's got better wrestling. He's got better positioning. And I think Dom Reyes takes this. So once again, those three picks are Darren Till over Jorge Masvidal. Gunnar Nelson over Leon Edwards, and Dominic Reyes over Vulcan Ozdemir. And I want to give a quick thank you to ADK Fightwear, Maroon Social, Sisu Mouthguards, and Sheath Underwear for supporting the show. I also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. Remind you to follow them on Twitter, at Flow Combat, us on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, and me personally on Twitter, at Gumby Vreeland. Make sure to check out all of those things. You can also follow everybody on Instagram as well. Now, before we let you go for the week, I did want to end this episode by giving you one more bonus interview with Arnold Almighty Allen. Enjoy. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Arnold Almighty Allen, who fights Jordan Rinaldi, this weekend at UFC in London on ESPN Plus. Arnold, you're 4-0 in the UFC right now, and I feel like not a lot of people talking about you unranked at featherweight, even though you're 4-0. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's because I haven't been uh, super active. I've been uh, taking my time, so yeah, I think that's why. So you think it's mostly just staying active? Because you're right, you you have had some pretty impressive finishes in there. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's the main thing, just getting active, stringing a few together and, uh, you know, stop getting injured and stop getting sick and all that crap. Yeah, absolutely. And and I was going to ask you a little bit later on, but, you know, you've only had one fight a year for the last four years, you know, one in 18, mm-hmm. one in 17, one in 16, one in 15. W- what are sort of your goals for 2019? Best case scenario, how many times do we see you fight? Yeah, three, three seems like a good number, but yeah. I'd like to get out three times at least. That would be, or not not at least, but three times. Three times would be perfect. Awesome. So uh, I, I know you're training at TriStar right now and a whole lot of uh, you know news coming out of TriStar um, with GSP's mm. retirement and all that kind of stuff. Do, is he the uh, person that you tend to work with leading into fights? And if so, has this uh, retirement announcement played into that at all? Um, No, he's still in the gym. Like He's always in the gym. But he, he coaches more like he coaches every week. He's in the gym always giving us advice and stuff. So, yeah, that's, he's still here. 
Well, that that's certainly good to hear too. Now, um, yeah, I, I know that this fight that you've got coming up is again in England, in London, uh, and in hmm. all three of your last fights before this one were also in England. Is is there any yeah. desire to to get out of there, or is that just something the UFC seems to keep doing for you? Uh, yeah, it's something they seem to to keep doing for me. I, I really wanted to get out and fight like in the US, and you know the sport's just bigger there, so. It would be good for me to make my name and you know expand by flying across overseas. But yeah, every time someone comes up, they, I end up waiting for London. So yeah, it is what it is. I like I like flying at home. But yeah, it would be nice to get overseas. And, and is that something you would feel comfortable like calling out after? If I, I know you're not you know usually the type to to call your shots here, mm. but are are you going to you know openly request getting a chance to fight in the states? Yeah, for sure. Like I was supposed to fight um when I was supposed to fight Gilbert, I was supposed to fight in Vegas, so yeah, that that would be it would be nice to get that finally. Obviously since that's like the I guess it's the fight capital, isn't it? So it would be it would be nice to get a fight there. <laughs> Absolutely. And and you mentioned the Gil Melendez fight too. Is that a fight you're still looking to get booked? Is is that still an opponent you're interested in? Uh yeah, definitely interested. You know, we've done a camp for each other, so I mean why not? But as it stands I'm only focus on my my opponent yeah and, and your opponent let's talk about him you know jordan rinaldi he, he's a wrestler an american wrestler by trade he's also a jiu-jitsu mm. brown belt but obviously you've got a, a pretty good submission game yourself with a couple of submission wins how, how do you think you mm. compare on the ground to rinaldi i mean i, I grapple with some like really high level grapplers like jiu-jitsu guys in the gym day in there and uh, i do i do well so i, I think i'll be fine are, are you anticipating that this is a fight that does go to the ground, or is this one that you see more as it's probably going to be stand and bang if it's up to you? Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm comfortable. I, I'm comfortable wherever it goes. You know, I train for everything, so I'm not, you know, preparing for a stand-up fight. I'm not preparing for a wrestling match. I'm, I'm preparing for everything. So if it does, then yeah, I'm going to be comfortable wherever. And, and, you know, as we said before, you're not really the type of guy to call people out leading after a mm-hmm. fight. But should should this fight go right, are, are you comfortable calling for a top 15 opponent? Or are you just more willing to, you know, you want to get back in there and mix it up uh, and be active rather than uh, specifically calling your shots? Yeah, I mean, if it goes to plan, then uh, that's the goal this year. I want to get a top 15 spot. So, I mean, no one, no one in particular, but I just want that spot. So, yeah, I'd ask for that. And if you, uh, you know, obviously, like I said again, you're you're not one to make huge predictions. But if you did have to predict how this fight with Jordan Rinaldi goes, what's your expectation? Do you think this is the kind of guy that you can get in and out of there on, or is this going to be, uh, you know, a drag him out three round war? Yeah, he's a he's a tough guy. He's experienced, and I think he's definitely a, you know, it's not I'm not going to be expecting a short night, so I'm prepared for a for a decision. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, that's certainly good to make sure you're preparing, and I'm sure Faraz has you uh, as prepared as possible. I, I do like to ask, too, just to close here before I let you go, I always like to ask people who train under, you know, well-noted trainers, especially for us, you know, considered one of the top ones in the world, if there's anything yeah. about his coaching uh, that stands out to you that maybe the fans don't necessarily know about, is there anything about when you what you learn from Faraz or training underneath him uh, that is maybe unique to that fans wouldn't know about? Uh, I I don't know really. He's, everything's out there. He's has a lot of content out there, so he's he's just like 
very in-depth. You see things from a different sort of point of view than most people. That's the main thing I'd say. It just gives you a different angle than than you would expect. You know, you watch a fight, it has a, it makes everything very simple. Well, and it's certainly going to be helpful when you step in this weekend. Once again, this is Arnold Allen who fights Jordan Rinaldi at UFC on London, which you guys can catch on ESPN Plus. Arnold, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, buddy.